Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Greatest Love Stories and Chapters 13 and 14 from Anne of Avonlea by Lucy Maud Montgomery. This is your host, John Hagedorn. And now, Chapter 13, A Golden Picnic. Anne, on her way to Orchard Slope, met Diana, bound for Green Gables, just where the mossy old log bridge spanned the brook below the haunted wood, and they sat down by the margin of the Dryad's Bubble where tiny ferns were unrolling like curly-headed green pixie folk wakening up from a nap. "'I was just on my way over to invite you to help me celebrate my birthday on Saturday,' said Anne. "'Your birthday? But your birthday was in March.' "'That wasn't my fault,' laughed Anne. "'If my parents had consulted me, it never would have happened then. I should have chosen to be born in spring, of course. It must be delightful to come into the world with the mayflowers and violets.' "'you would always feel that you were their foster sister. "'But since I didn't, "'the next best thing is to celebrate my birthday in the spring. "'Priscilla is coming over Saturday, "'and Jane will be home. "'We'll all four start off to the woods "'and spend a golden day making the acquaintance of the spring. "'We none of us really know her yet, "'but we'll meet her back there "'as we never can anywhere else. "'I want to explore all those fields "'and lonely places anyhow. "'I have a conviction that there are scores "'of beautiful nooks there "'that have never really been seen.' "'although they may have been looked at. "'We'll make friends with winds and sky and sun "'and bring home the spring in our hearts. "'It sounds awfully nice,' said Diana, "'with some inward distrust of Anne's magic of words. "'But won't it be very damp in some places yet?' "'Oh, well, we'll wear rubbers,' "'was Anne's concession to practicalities. "'And I want you to come over early Saturday morning "'and help me prepare lunch. "'I'm going to have the daintiest things possible, "'things that will match the spring, you understand?' "'little jelly tarts and lady fingers, "'and drop cookies frosted with pink and yellow icing, "'and buttercup cake. "'And we must have sandwiches, too, "'although they're not very poetical.' "'Saturday proved an ideal day for a picnic, "'a day of breeze and blue, "'warm, sunny, with a little rollicking wind "'blowing across the meadow and orchard. "'Over every sunlit upland and field "'was a delicate, flower-starred green. "'Mr. Harrison, harrowing at the back of his farm, and feeling some of the spring witch work even in his sober, middle-aged blood, saw four girls, basket-laden, tripping across the end of his field where it joined a fringing woodland of birch and fir. Their blithe voices and laughter echoed down to him. 
"'It's so easy to be happy on a day like this, isn't it?' "'Anne was saying, with true Annish philosophy. "'Let's try to make this a really golden day, "'a day to which we can always look back with delight. "'We're to seek for beauty and refuse to see anything else. "'Be gone, dull care. "'Jane, are you thinking of something that went wrong in school yesterday?' "'How do you know?' gasped Jane, amazed. "'Oh, I know the expression. "'I felt it often enough on my own face.' "'but put it out of your mind. "'It will keep till Monday. "'Or if it doesn't, so much the better. "'Oh, girls, see that patch of violets? "'There's something from memory's picture galley. "'When I'm eighty years old, if I ever am, "'I will shut my eyes and see those violets "'just as I see them now. "'That's the first good gift our day has given us. "'If a kiss could be seen, "'I think it would look like a violet,' said Priscilla. "'Anne glowed.' "'I'm so glad you spoke that thought, Priscilla, "'instead of just thinking it and keeping it to yourself. "'This world would be a much more interesting place, "'although it is very interesting anyhow, "'if people spoke out their real thoughts. "'It would be too hot to hold some folks,' "'quoted Jane sagely. "'I suppose it might be, "'but that would be their own faults for thinking nasty things. "'Anyhow, we can tell all our thoughts today "'because we're going to have nothing but beautiful thoughts. "'Everybody can say just what comes into her head.' "'That is a conversation. "'Here's a little path. "'I never saw it before. "'Let's explore it.' "'The path was a winding one, "'so narrow that the girls walked in single file, "'and even then the fir boughs brushed their faces. "'Under the firs were velvety cushions of moss, "'and further on, where the trees were smaller and fewer, "'the ground was rich in a variety of green-growing things. "'What a lot of elephant's ears!' exclaimed Diana. "'I'm going to pick a big bunch.' "'They're so pretty. "'How did such graceful feathery things "'ever come to have such a dreadful name?' "'asked Priscilla. "'Because the person who first named them "'either had no imagination at all "'or else far too much,' said Anne. "'Oh, girls, look at that!' "'That was a shallow woodland pool "'in the center of a little open glade "'where the path ended. "'Later on in the season it would be dried up "'and its place filled with a rank growth of ferns. "'but now it was a glimmering placid sheet, "'round as a saucer and clear as crystal. "'A ring of slender young birches encircled it, "'and little ferns fringed its margin. "'How sweet!' said Jane. "'Let's dance around it like wood nymphs,' cried Anne, "'dropping her basket and extending her hands. "'But the dance was not a success, "'for the ground was boggy, "'and Jane's rubber boots came off. "'You can't be a wood nymph "'if you have to wear rubber boots,' was her decision.' "'Well, we must name this place before we leave it,' said Anne, "'yielding to the indisputable logic of facts. "'Everybody suggest a name, and we'll draw lots.' "'Diana?' "'Birch Pool,' suggested Diana promptly. "'Crystal Lake,' said Jane. "'Anne, standing behind them, implored Priscilla with her eyes "'not to perpetrate another such name, "'and Priscilla rose to the occasion with Glimmerglass. "'Anne's selection was the fairy's mirror.' The names were written on strips of birch bark with a pencil schoolmarm Jane produced from her pocket and placed in Anne's hat. Then Priscilla shut her eyes and drew one. Crystal Lake, read Jane triumphantly. Crystal Lake it was, and if Anne thought that chance had played the pool a shabby trick, she didn't say so. Pushing through the undergrowth beyond, the girls came out to the young green seclusion of Mr. Silas Sloane's back pasture. 
Across it they found the entrance to a lane striking up to the woods, and voted to explore it also. It rewarded their quest with a succession of pretty surprises. First, skirting Mr. Sloan's pasture, came an archway of wild cherry trees all in bloom. The girls swung their hats on their arms and wreathed their hair with the creamy, fluffy blossoms. Then the lane turned at right angles and plunged into a spruce wood so thick and dark that they walked in a gloom as of twilight, with not a glimpse of sky or sunlight to be seen. "'This is where the bad wood elves dwell,' whispered Anne. "'They're impish and malicious, but they can't harm us, because they are not allowed to do evil in the spring.' "'There was one peeping at us around that old twisted fir, "'and didn't you see a group of them "'on that big freckly toadstool we just passed? "'The good fairies always dwell in the sunshiny places.' "'I wish there really were fairies,' said Jane. "'Wouldn't it be nice to have three wishes granted you, "'or even only one? "'What would you wish for, if you could have a wish granted? "'I'd wish to be rich and beautiful and clever.' "'I'd wish to be tall and slender,' said Diana.' "'I would wish to be famous,' said Priscilla. "'Anne thought of her hair, and then dismissed the thought as unworthy. "'I'd wish it might be spring all the time, and in everybody's heart, and in all our lives,' she said. "'But that,' said Priscilla, "'would be just wishing this world were like heaven.' "'Only like part of heaven. "'In the other parts there'd be a summer and an autumn. "'Yes, and a bit of winter, too.' "'I think I want glittering snowy fields "'and white frosts in heaven sometimes. "'Don't you, Jane?' "'I... I don't know,' said Jane, uncomfortably. "'Jane was a good girl, a member of the church, "'who tried conscientiously to live up to her profession "'and believed everything she had been taught. "'But she never thought about heaven "'any more than she could help, for all that. "'Minnie May asked me the other day "'if we would wear our best dresses every day in heaven,' "'laughed Diana.' "'And didn't you tell her we would?' asked Dan. "'Mercy, no. I told her we wouldn't be thinking of dresses at all there.' "'Oh, I think we will, a little,' said Anne earnestly. "'There'll be plenty of time in all eternity for it without neglecting more important things. I believe we'll all wear beautiful dresses. Or, I suppose, raiment would be a more suitable way of speaking. I shall want to wear pink for a few centuries at first. "'It would take me that long to get tired of it, I feel sure. "'I do love pink so, and I can never wear it in this world.' "'Past the spruces, the lane dipped down into a sunny little open "'where a log bridge spanned the brook, "'and then came the glory of a sunlit beechwood "'where the air was like transparent golden wine, "'and the leaves fresh and green, "'and the wood floor a mosaic of tremulous sunshine. "'Then more wild cherries, and a little valley of lysome firs, "'and then a hill so steep that the girls lost their breath climbing it. "'But when they reached the top and came out into the open, "'the prettiest surprise of all awaited them. "'Beyond were the back fields of the farms "'that ran out to the upper Carmody Road. "'Just before them, hemmed in by beeches and firs "'but open to the south, was a little corner, "'and in it a garden, or what had once been a garden. "'A tumble-down stone dike, overgrown with mosses and grass, "'surrounded it. Along the eastern side ran a row of garden cherry trees, white as a snowdrift. There were traces of old paths still, and a double line of rose bushes through the middle. But all the rest of the space was a sheet of yellow and white narcissi, in their airiest, most lavish, wind-swayed bloom above the lush green grasses. "'Oh, how 
perfectly lovely. Anne only gazed in eloquent silence. How in the world does it happen that there ever was a garden back here? said Priscilla in amazement. It must be Hester Gray's garden, said Diana. I've heard mother speak of it, but I never saw it before, and I wouldn't have supposed that it could be in existence still. You heard the story, Anne? No, but the name seems familiar to me. Oh, you've seen it in the graveyard. She's buried down there in the poplar corner. You know the little brown stone with the opening gates carved on it and sacred to the memory of Hester Gray, aged twenty-two? Jordan Gray is buried right beside her, but there's no stone for him. It's a wonder Marilla never told you about it. To be sure, it happened thirty years ago, and everybody's forgotten. Well, if there's a story, we must have it, said Anne. Let's sit right down here among the Narcissi, and Diana will tell it. Why, girls, there's hundreds of them. They've spread over everything. It looks as if the garden were carpeted with moonshine and sunshine combined. This is a discovery worth making. To think that I've lived within a mile of this place for six years and never saw it before. Now, Diana. Long ago, began Diana, this farm belonged to old Mr. David Gray. He didn't live on it. He lived where Silas Sloan lives now. He had one son, Jordan, and he went up to Boston one winter to work, and while he was there he fell in love with a girl named Hester Murray. She was working in a store, and she hated it. She had been brought up in the country, and she always wanted to get back. When Jordan asked her to marry him, she said she would if he'd take her away to some quiet spot where she'd see nothing but fields and trees. So he brought her to Evon Lee. Mrs. Lynn said he was taking a fearful risk in marrying a Yankee, and it's certain that Hester was very delicate and a very poor housekeeper. But Mother says she was very pretty and sweet, and Jordan just worshipped the ground she walked on. Well, Mr. Gray gave Jordan this farm, and he built a little house back here, and Jordan and Hester lived in it for four years. She never went out much, and hardly anybody went to see her except Mother and Mrs. Lynde. Jordan made her this garden, and she was crazy about it, "'and spent most of her time in it. "'She wasn't much of a housekeeper, "'but she had a knack with flowers. "'And then she got sick. "'Mother says she thinks she was in consumption "'before she ever came here. "'She never really laid up, "'but just grew weaker and weaker all the time. "'Jordan wouldn't have anybody to wait on her. "'He did it all himself, "'and Mother says he was as tender and gentle as a woman. "'Every day he'd wrap her in a shawl "'and carry her out to the garden, "'and she'd lie there on a bench.' quite happy. They say she used to make Jordan kneel down by her every night and morning and pray with her that she might die out in the garden when the time came. And her prayer was answered. One day Jordan carried her out to the bench, and then he picked all the roses that were out and heaped them over her, and she just smiled up at him and closed her eyes. And that, concluded Diana softly, is the end of the story. "'Oh, what a dear story!' sighed Anne, wiping away her tears. "'What became of Jordan?' asked Priscilla. "'He sold the farm after Hester died and went back to Boston. "'Mr. Jabez Sloan bought the farm and hauled the little house out to the road. "'Jordan died about ten years after, and he was brought home and buried beside Hester. "'I can't understand how she could have wanted to live back here, away from everything,' said Jane." "'Oh, I can easily understand that,' said Anne thoughtfully. "'I wouldn't want it myself for a steady thing, "'because, although I love the fields and woods, 
I love people, too. But I can understand it in Hester. She was tired to death of the noise of the big city and the crowds of people always coming and going and caring nothing for her. She just wanted to escape from it all to some still, green, friendly place where she could rest. And she got just what she wanted, which is something very few people do, I believe. She had four beautiful years before she died, four years of perfect happiness. So I think she was to be envied more than pitied. And then to shut your eyes and fall asleep among roses, with the one you loved best on earth smiling down at you. Oh, I think it was beautiful. She set out those cherry trees over there, said Diana. She told Mother she'd never live to eat their fruit, but she wanted to think that something she had planted would go on living and helping to make the world beautiful after she was dead. I'm so glad we came this way, said Anne, the shining-eyed one. This is my adopted birthday, you know, and this garden and its story is the birthday gift it has given me. Did your mother ever tell you what Hester Gray looked like, Diana? No, only that she was pretty. I'm rather glad of that, because I can imagine what she looked like, without being hampered by facts. I think she was very slight and small, with softly curling dark hair and big, sweet, timid brown eyes, and a little wistful pale face. The girls left their baskets in Hester's garden and spent the rest of the afternoon rambling in the woods and fields surrounding it, discovering many pretty nooks and lanes. When they got hungry, they had lunch in the prettiest spot of all, on the steep bank of a gurgling brook where white birches shot up out of long, feathery grasses. The girls sat down by the roots and did full justice to Anne's dainties, even the unpoetical sandwiches being greatly appreciated by hearty, unspoiled appetites "'sharpened by all the fresh air and exercise they had enjoyed. "'Anne had brought glasses and lemonade for her guest, "'but for her own part drank cold brook water "'from a cup fashioned out of birch bark. "'The cup leaked, and the water tasted of earth, "'as brook water is apt to do in spring. "'But Anne thought it more appropriate to the occasion than lemonade. "'Look! Do you see that poem?' she said suddenly, pointing. "'Where?' Jane and Diana stared, "'as if expecting to see runic rhymes on the birch-trees. "'There, down in the brook, "'that old green mossy log with the water flowing over it "'in those smooth ripples that look as if they'd been combed, "'and that single shaft of sunshine falling right athwart it, "'far down into the pool. "'Oh, it's the most beautiful poem I ever saw.' "'I should rather call it a picture,' said Jane. "'A poem is lines and verses.' "'Oh, dear me, no!' Anne shook her head with its fluffy, wild cherry coronal positively. "'The lines and verses are only the outward garments of the poem, "'and are no more really it than your ruffles and flounces are you, Jane. "'The real poem is the soul within them, "'and that beautiful bit is the soul of an unwritten poem. "'It's not every day one sees a soul, even of a poem.' "'I wonder what a person's soul would look like,' said Priscilla, dreamily. "'Like that, I should think,' answered Anne, "'pointing to a radiance of sifted sunlight "'streaming through a birch tree. "'Only with shape and features, of course. "'I like to fancy souls as being made of light, "'and some are all shot through with rosy stains and quivers, "'and some of a soft glitter like moonlight on the sea, "'and some are pale and transparent like mist at dawn. "'I read somewhere once that souls were like flowers,' said Priscilla. "'Then your soul is a golden narcissus,' said Anne, "'and Diana's is like a red, red rose. 
"'Jane is an apple blossom, pink and wholesome and sweet. "'And your own is a white violet, with purple streaks in its heart,' finished Priscilla. "'Jane whispered to Diana that she really could not understand what they were talking about. "'Could she?' "'The girls went home by a light of calm, golden sunset, "'their baskets filled with narcissus blossoms from Hester's garden.' "'some of which Anne carried to the cemetery next day "'and laid upon Hester's grave. "'Minstrel robins were whistling in the firs "'and the frogs were singing in the marshes. "'All the basins among the hills "'were brimmed with topaz and emerald light. "'Well, we've had a lovely time after all,' said Diana, "'as if she had hardly expected to have it when she set out. "'It has been a truly golden day,' said Priscilla. "'I'm really awfully fond of the woods myself,' said Jane. Anne said nothing. She was looking afar into the western sky and thinking of little Hester Gray. We'll return with Chapter 14 right after these sponsor messages. Hi, everyone. The holiday season is upon us, and I'll be glued to the telly for BritBox on many a night. I've already shared with you the fact that I keep up with Father Brown and Poirot at BritBox. I also check out their new stuff, like the new series Archie, which tells the story of Archie Leach, otherwise known to millions of filmgoers, as Cary Grant. This story comes from his daughter Jennifer Grant and ex-wife Diane Cannon. It's a series. The performance of Jason Isaacs, who plays Cary Grant, is top-notch. I highly recommend it. You can only find it on my favorite TV, BritBox. Sign up to BritBox today to stream Archie and other fan favorites today from any device. I have a special, limited-time offer for my U.S. and Canadian listeners. Get 50% off your first month when you sign up for a monthly plan, but only if you go to BritBox.com and use my promo code 1001STORIES at checkout. Don't wait. Get 50% off your first month. Just use promo code 1001STORIES at BritBox.com. Try it. You'll like it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And now, Chapter 14, A Danger Averted. Anne, walking home from the post office one Friday evening, was joined by Mrs. Lynde, who was, as usual, cumbered with all the cares of church and state. "'I've just been down to Timothy Cotton's to see if I could get Alice Louise to help me for a few days,' she said. "'I had her last week, though she's too slow to stop quick. She's better than nobody. But she's sick, can't come. Timothy's sitting there, too.' "'coughing and complaining. "'He's been dying for ten years, "'and he'll go on dying for ten years more. "'That kind can't even die and have done with it. "'They can't stick to anything, "'even to being sick, long enough to finish it. "'They're a terrible, shiftless family, "'and what is to become of them, I don't know. "'But perhaps Providence does.' "'Mrs. Lynde sighed as if she rather doubted "'the extent of providential knowledge on the subject. "'Marilla was in about her eyes again Tuesday, wasn't she?' "'What did the specialist think of them?' she continued. "'He was much pleased,' said Anne brightly. "'He thinks there's a great improvement in them, "'and he thinks the danger of her losing her sight completely is past. 
"'but he says she'll never be able to read much "'or do any fine handwork again. "'How are your preparations for the bazaar coming on?' "'The Ladies' Aid Society was preparing for a fair and supper, "'and Mrs. Lynde was the head and front of the enterprise. "'Pretty well, and that reminds me. "'Mrs. Allen thinks it would be nice to fix up a booth "'like an old-time kitchen and serve a supper of baked beans, "'donuts, pie, and so on. "'We're collecting old-fashioned fixings everywhere.' Mrs. Simon Fletcher is going to lend us her mother's braided rugs, and Mrs. Levi Bolter some old chairs, and Aunt Mary Shaw will lend us her cupboard with the glass doors. I suppose Marilla will let us have her brass candlesticks? And we want all the old dishes we can get. Mrs. Allen is specially set on having a real blue willow-ware platter if we can find one. But nobody seems to have one. Do you know where we could get one? Yes, Miss Josephine Berry has one. "'I'll write and ask her if she'll lend it for the occasion,' said Anne. "'Well, I wish you would. "'I guess we'll have the supper in about a fortnight's time. "'Uncle Abe Andrews is prophesying rain and storm for about that time, "'and that's a pretty sure sign we'll have fine weather. "'That's what.' "'The said Uncle Abe, it may be mentioned, "'was at least like other prophets "'in that he had a small honor in his own country. "'He was, in fact, considered in the light of a standing joke, "'for few of his weather predictions were ever fulfilled.' Mr. Eliza Wright, who labored under the impression that he was a local wit, used to say that nobody in Avonlea ever thought of looking in the Charlottetown dailies for weather probabilities. No, they just asked Uncle Abe what it was going to be tomorrow and expected the opposite. Nothing daunted, Uncle Abe kept on prophesying. We want to have the fair over before the election comes off, continued Mrs. Lynde, for the candidates will be sure to come and spend lots of money. The Tories are bribing right and left, "'so they might as well be given a chance "'to spend their money honestly for once. "'Anne was a red-hot conservative, "'out of loyalty to Matthew's memory, "'but she said nothing. "'She knew better than to get Mrs. Lynn started on politics. "'She had a letter from Marilla, "'postmarked from a town in British Columbia. "'It's probably from the children's uncle,' "'she said excitedly, when she got home. "'Oh, Marilla, I wonder what he says about them.' "'The best plan might be to open it and see,' said Marilla curtly. "'A close observer might have thought that she was excited also, "'but she would rather have died than show it.' "'Antor opened the letter and glanced over the somewhat untidy "'and poorly written contents. "'He says he can't take the children this spring. "'He's been sick most of the winter, and his wedding is put off. "'He wants to know if we can keep them till the fall, "'and he'll try to take them then. "'We will, of course, won't we, Marilla?' "'I don't see that there's anything else for us to do,' said Marilla, rather grimly, although she felt a secret relief. "'Anyhow, they're not so much trouble as they were, or else we've got used to them. Davy has improved a great deal.' "'His manners are certainly much better,' said Anne cautiously, as if she were not prepared to say as much for his morals. Anne had come home from school the previous evening to find Marilla away at an aid meeting, Dora asleep on the kitchen sofa, and Davy in the sitting-room closet, blissfully absorbing the contents of a jar of Marilla's famous yellow plum preserves. Company jam, Davy called it, which he had been forbidden to touch. He looked very guilty when Anne pounced on him and whisked him out of the closet. Davy Keith, don't you know that it is very wrong of you to be eating that jam when you were told never to meddle with anything in that closet? Yes, I knew it was wrong, admitted Davy uncomfortably. "'But plum jam is awful nice, Anne. 
"'I just peeped in, and it looked so good. "'I thought I'd take just a little taste. "'I stuck my finger in,' Anne groaned, "'and licked it clean. "'And it was so much gooder than I'd ever thought "'that I got a spoon and I just sailed in.' "'Anne gave him such a serious lecture "'on the sin of stealing plum jam "'that Davy became conscience-stricken "'and promised with repentant kisses "'never to do it again. "'Anyhow, there'll be plenty of jam in heaven. "'That's one comfort.' "'he said complacently. "'Anne nipped a smile in the bud. "'Perhaps there will, if we want it,' she said. "'But what makes you think so?' "'Why, it's in the catechism,' said Davy. "'Oh, no, there's nothing like that in the catechism, Davy.' "'But I tell you there is,' persisted Davy. "'It was in that question Marilla taught me last Sunday. "'Why should we love God?' "'It says, because he makes preserves.' "'and redeems us. "'Preserves is just a holy way of saying jam.' "'I must get a drink of water,' said Anne hastily. "'When she came back, it cost her some time and trouble "'to explain to Davy that a certain comma "'in the said catechism question "'made a great deal of difference in the meaning. "'Well, I thought it was too good to be true,' "'he said at last, with a sigh of disappointed conviction. "'And besides, I didn't see when he'd find time to make jam "'if it's one endless Sabbath day.' "'as the hymn says. "'I don't believe I want to go to heaven. "'Won't there ever be any Saturdays in heaven, Anne?' "'Yes, Saturdays and every other kind of beautiful days. "'And every day in heaven will be more beautiful "'than the one before it, Davy,' assured Anne, "'who was rather glad that Marilla was not by to be shocked. "'Marilla, it is needless to say, "'was bringing the twins up in the good old ways of theology "'and discouraged all fanciful speculations thereupon. "'Davy and Dora were taught a hymn, a catechism question, and two Bible verses every Sunday. Dora learned meekly and recited like a little machine, with perhaps as much understanding or interest as if she were one. Davy, on the contrary, had a lively curiosity and frequently asked questions which made Marilla tremble for his fate. Chester Sloan says we'll do nothing all the time in heaven but walk around in white dresses and play on harps, and he says he hopes he won't have to go till he's an old man, because maybe he'll like it better then. "'and he thinks it'll be hard to wear dresses. "'I think so, too. "'Why can't men angels wear trousers, Anne? "'Chester Sloan is interested in those things "'cause they're going to make a minister of him. "'He's got to be a minister "'cause his grandmother left the money to send him to college, "'and he can't have it unless he's a minister. "'She thought a minister was such a spectable thing "'to have in a family. "'Chester says he doesn't mind much, "'though he'd rather be a blacksmith. "'But he's bound to have all the fun he can "'before he begins to be a minister.' "'cause he doesn't expect to have much afterwards. "'I ain't going to be a minister. "'I'm going to be a storekeeper like Mr. Blair "'and keep heaps of candy and bananas. "'But I'd rather like going to your kind of a heaven "'if they'd let me play a mouth organ instead of a harp. "'Do you suppose they would?' "'Yes, I think they would if you wanted it,' "'was all Anne could trust herself to say. The AVIS met at Mr. Harmon Andrews that evening, and a full attendance had been requested, since important business was to be discussed. The AVIS was in a flourishing condition, and had already accomplished wonders. Early in the spring, Mr. Major Spencer had redeemed his promise, and had stumped, graded, and seated down all the road in front of his farm. A dozen other men, some prompted by a determination not to let a Spencer get ahead of them, others goaded into action by improvers in their own households had followed his example. The result was that there were long strips of smooth velvet turf where once had been unsightly undergrowth or brush. 
The farm fronts that had not been done looked so badly by contrast that their owners were secretly shamed into resolving to see what they could do another spring. The triangle of ground at the crossroads had also been cleared and seeded down, and Anne's bed of geraniums, unharmed by any marauding cow, was already set out in the center. Altogether, the improvers thought that they were getting on beautifully, even if Mr. Levi Bolter, tactfully approached by a carefully selected committee in regard to the old house on his upper farm, did bluntly tell them that he wasn't going to have it meddled with. At this especial meeting, they intended to draw up a petition to the school trustees, humbly praying that a fence be put around the school grounds, and a plan was also to be discussed for planting a few ornamental trees by the church, if the funds of the society would permit of it. For, as Anne said, there was no use in starting another subscription as long as the hall remained blue. The members were assembled in the Andrews parlor, and Jane was already on her feet to move the appointment of a committee which should find out and report on the price of said trees. When Gertie Pye swept in, pompadoured and furled within an inch of her life. Gertie had a habit of being late, to make her entrance more effective, spiteful people said. Gertie's entrance in this instance was certainly effective, for she paused dramatically on the middle of the floor, threw up her hands, rolled her eyes, and exclaimed, "'I've just heard something perfectly awful. "'What do you think? "'Mr. Judson Parker is going to rent "'all the road fence of his farm "'to a patent medicine company "'to paint advertisements on.'" For once in her life, Gertie Pye made all the sensation she desired. If she had thrown a bomb among the complacent improvers, she could hardly have made more. "'That can't be true,' said Anne blankly. "'That's just what I said when I heard it first, don't you know?' said Gertie, who was enjoying herself hugely. "'I said it couldn't be true, that Judson Parker wouldn't have the heart to do it, don't you know? But father met him this afternoon and asked him about it, and he said it was true. Just fancy, his farm is side on to the Newbridge Road, and how perfectly awful it will look to see advertisements of pills and plasters all along it.' The improvers did know, all too well. Even the least imaginative among them could picture the grotesque effect of half a mile of board fence adorned with such advertisements. All thought of church and school grounds vanished before this new danger. Parliamentary rules and regulations were forgotten, and Anne, in despair, gave up trying to keep minutes at all. Everybody talked at once, and fearful was the hubbub. "'Oh, let us keep calm,' implored Anne, who was the most excited of them all, "'and try to think of some way of preventing them.' "'I don't know how you're going to prevent him,' exclaimed Jane bitterly. "'Everybody knows what Judson Parker is. "'He'd do anything for money. "'He hasn't a spark of public spirit or any sense of the beautiful.' "'The prospect looked rather unpromising. "'Judson Parker and his sister were the only Parkers in Avonlea, "'so that no leverage could be exerted by family connections. "'Martha Parker was a lady of all too certain age "'who disapproved of young people in general, "'and the improvers in particular.' Judson was a jovial, smooth-spoken man, so uniformly good-natured and bland that it was surprising how few friends he had. Perhaps he had got the better in too many business transactions, which seldom makes for popularity. He was reputed to be very sharp, and it was the general opinion that he hadn't much principle. If Judson Parker has a chance to turn an honest penny, as he says himself, he'll never lose it, declared Fred Wright. Is there nobody who has any influence over him? "'asked Anne despairingly. "'He goes to see Louisa Spencer at White Sands. 
suggested Carrie Sloan. Perhaps she could coax him into not renting his fences. Not she, said Gilbert, emphatically. I know Louisa Spencer well. She doesn't believe in village improvement societies, but she does believe in dollars and cents. She'd be more likely to urge Judson on than to dissuade him. The only thing to do is to appoint a committee to wait on him in protest, said Julia Bell, and you must send girls, for he'd hardly be civil to boys. But I won't go, so nobody need nominate me. Better send Anne alone, said Oliver Sloan. She can talk Judson over if anybody can. Anne protested. She was willing to go and do the talking, but she must have others with her for moral support. Diana and Jane were therefore appointed to support her morally, and the improvers broke up buzzing like angry bees with indignation. Anne was so worried that she didn't sleep until nearly morning, and then she dreamed that the trustees had put a fence around the school and painted tri-purple pills all over it. The committee waited on Judson Parker the next afternoon. Anne pleaded eloquently against his nefarious design, and Jane and Diana supported her morally and valiantly. Judson was sleek, suave, flattering, paid them several compliments of the delicacy of sunflowers, felt real bad to refuse such charming young ladies, but business was business. Couldn't afford to let sentiment stand in the way these hard times. "'But I'll tell you what I will do,' he said, with a twinkle in his light, full eyes. "'I'll tell the agent he must use only handsome, tasty colors, red and yellow, and so on. I'll tell him he mustn't paint the ads blue on any account.' The vanquished committee retired, "'thinking things not lawful to be uttered. "'We have done all we can do "'and must simply trust the rest of Providence,' "'said Jane, with an unconscious imitation "'of Mrs. Lynde's tone and manner. "'I wonder if Mr. Allen could do anything,' "'reflected Diana. "'Anne shook her head. "'No, it's no use to worry Mr. Allen, "'especially now when the baby's so sick. "'Judson would slip away from him "'as smoothly as from us, "'although he has taken to going to church "'quite regularly just now.' "'That's simply because Louisa Spencer's father is an elder "'and very particular about such things. "'Judson Parker is the only man in Avonlea "'who would dream of renting his fences,' said Jane indignantly. "'Even Levi Bolter or Lorenzo White would never stoop to that, "'tight-fisted as they are. "'They would have too much respect for public opinion.' "'Public opinion was certainly down on Judson Parker "'when the facts became known, "'but that did not help matters much.' "'Judson chuckled to himself and defied it, "'and the improvers were trying to reconcile themselves "'to the prospect of seeing the prettiest part of the New Bridge Road "'defaced by advertisements, "'when Anne rose quietly at the President's call "'for reports of committees on the occasion "'of the next meeting of the Society, "'and announced that Mr. Judson Parker "'had instructed her to inform the Society "'that he was not going to rent his fences "'to the Patent Medicine Company. "'Jane and Diana stared as if they found it hard to believe their ears. "'Parliamentary etiquette,' which was generally very strictly enforced in the AVIS, forbade them giving instant vent to their curiosity. But after the society adjourned, Anne was besieged for explanations. Anne had no explanation to give. Judson Parker had overtaken her on the road the preceding evening and told her that he had decided to humor the AVIS in its peculiar prejudice against patent medicine advertisements. That was all Anne would say, then or ever afterwards, and it was the simple truth. But when Jane Andrews, on her way home, confided to Oliver Sloan her firm belief that there was more behind Judson Parker's mysterious change of heart than Anne Shirley had revealed, she spoke the truth also. 
Anne had been down to old Mrs. Irving's on the shore road the preceding evening, and had come home by a shortcut, which led her first over the low-lying shore fields, and then through the beechwood below Robert Dixon's, by a little footpath that ran out the main road just above the lake of shining waters, known to unimaginative people as Barry's Pond. Two men were sitting in their buggies, reined off to the side of the road, just at the entrance of the path. One was Judson Parker, the other was Jerry Corcoran, a Newbridge man against whom, as Mrs. Lynde would have told you in eloquent italics, nothing shady had ever been proved. He was an agent for agricultural implements, and a prominent personage in matters political. He had a finger, some people said, all his fingers, in every political pie that was cooked, and as Canada was on the eve of a general election, Jerry Corcoran had been a busy man for many weeks, canvassing the county in the interests of his party's candidate. Just as Anne emerged from under the overhanging beech boughs, she heard Corcoran say, "'If you'll vote for Amesbury, Parker, well, I've a note for that pair of harrows you've got in the spring. I suppose you wouldn't object to having it back, eh?' "'Well, since you put it that way,' drawled Judson with a grin, "'I reckon I might as well do it. A man must look out for his own interest in these hard times.' Both saw Anne at this moment, and conversation abruptly ceased. Anne bowed frostily and walked on, with her chin slightly more tilted than usual. Soon Judson Parker overtook her. "'Have a lift, Anne?' he inquired genially. "'Thank you, no,' said Anne politely, but with a fine, needle-like disdain in her voice that pierced even Judson Parker's none-too-sensitive consciousness. His face reddened, and he twitched his reins angrily. "'but the next second prudential considerations checked him. "'He looked uneasily at Anne as she walked steadily on, "'glancing neither to the right nor to the left. "'Had she heard Corcoran's unmistakable offer "'and his own too plain acceptance of it? "'Confound Corcoran! "'If he couldn't put his meaning into less dangerous phrases, "'he'd get into trouble one day. "'And confound red-headed schoolmarms "'with a habit of popping out of beechwoods "'where they had no business to be!' If Anne had heard Judson Parker measuring her corn in his own half-bushel, as the country saying went, and cheating himself thereby, as such people generally do, believed that she would tell it far and wide. Now Judson Parker, as has been seen, was not overly regardful of public opinion. But to be known as having accepted a bribe would be a nasty thing. But if it ever reached Isaac Spencer's ears, Farewell forever to all hope of winning Louisa Jane with her comfortable prospects as the heiress of a well-to-do farmer. Judson Parker knew that Mr. Spencer looked somewhat askance at him as it was. He could not afford to take any risks. <clears throat> Anne, I've been wanting to see you about that little matter we were discussing the other day. I've decided not to let my fences to that company after all. A society with an aim like yours ought to be encouraged. Anne thought out the merest trifle. "'Thank you,' she said. "'And... and... "'You needn't mention that little conversation of mine with Jerry.' "'I had no intention of mentioning it in any case,' said Anne icily, "'for she would have seen every fence in Avonlea painted with advertisements "'before she would have stooped to bargain with the man who would sell his vote.' "'Just so, just so,' agreed Judson, "'imagining that they understood each other beautifully. "'I didn't suppose you would. "'Of course,' "'I was only stringing Jerry. "'He thinks he's so all-fired cute and smart. "'I've no intention of voting for Amesbury. "'I'm going to vote for Grant, as I've always done. "'You'll see that when the election comes off. "'I just led Jerry on to see if he would commit himself. 
"'and it's all right about the fence. "'You can tell the improvers that. "'It takes all sorts of people to make a world, "'as I've often heard, "'but I think there are some who could be spared,' "'Anne told her reflection in the East Gable mirror that night. "'I wouldn't have mentioned the disgraceful thing to a soul anyhow, "'so my conscience is clear on that score. "'I really don't know who or what is to be thanked for this. "'I did nothing to bring it about.' and it's hard to believe that Providence ever works by means of the kind of politics men like Judson Parker and Jerry Corcoran have. Thanks for joining us for these two chapters from Anne of Avon Lee. We do appreciate reviews, and here's a, and here's a recent review for you. Five stars. Anne of Avon Lee. I love the adventures of Anne. I love the way you read the stories. You really make people come alive. Thank you for the stories that you read. That one from Laura Amy, Apple Podcast, U.S., Laura Amy, thank you very much. We appreciate you taking the time, and we're glad you're a listener of the show. Until next Sunday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon. Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh.